feel fancy. Um, hi, everybody. My name's Anya. It's great to be back. Um, my family is pretty great. I have three older siblings in college. They go to Texas A&M. And then I have two parents in Denver, Colorado, who um, my mom doesn't work at the church, but she helps out with kidsmen. And then my dad works as a pastor of adult ministries at Brave, Brave Church. Um, and then I have a little brother who is seven, who is loving life at the moment, and he plays basketball. Yeah, and then there's me, who is in 11th grade, grade 11, grade 11, um, and yeah, I go to school, and I go to the same church as them, um, and I have a word for Glenridge. Um, <laughs> My dad asked me to pray for a word to share, um, like, it, during worship, and then immediately the word mercy popped in my mind. Um, mercy is defined as forgiveness or withholding punishment, and I wanted to read Psalms 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. I believe that Glenridge is a church of mercy. I believe that so many people all over the city are going to be brought into Glenridge and that God's mercy and grace will just cover them. And I do believe that Glenridge will help with that. Glenridge is definitely a church with mercy and grace, and people see that. So, yeah. Thank you. Give the mic. Thanks, Anya. So that's Anya, and uh, you can see how she betrayed you with her American accent. I took, it took the kids about three months to go from South African to, hi, everybody. So, uh, sorry? Stan, oh, Stan, Stan. You know, Matt Phipps got married yesterday, Matt and Emily. So Stan and Heather are recuperating. <laughs> I can see Paul and I need to recuperate. We were at the wedding. <clears throat> I've been losing my voice, so bear with me. If I also do a Paul and go up high, and uh, we have packed it in. We came late Wednesday night. We went to Maritzburg. We went to Belito to see Ryan and Mel. We've been up and down. We went surfing with Doug yesterday. We went to a wedding, and now we're here. We have woken up at 6 a.m. and gone to bed at midnight every night since we got here, and that's with jet lag. But we are so happy to be at Glenridge. I hugged many of you already. We're going to hang around afterwards as well. So if you haven't said hi, please say hi to us. Just so glad our friends Craig and Dawn from Grace Life on the Bluff are here. Craig and Dawn, co-laborers for the kingdom here in Durban. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, someone asked, when I told them I'm coming back and I'm preaching at Glenridge, someone asked me, well, are you nervous? I said, are you kidding? I said, those are my people. I said, I'm going home. I said, I'm coming home. I said, I'm so excited. I'm anything but nervous. I am so just overwhelmed. When we hit Durban, when we landed, I started crying. And I've been crying every time I've seen different ones, people, different people, I've been crying. Um, so if it is you that we're crying, it's because we're happy to see you. It's not, oh dear God, they're still here. <clears throat> it's because we've missed you terribly. 
And uh, Megan is so jealous. She couldn't get here. Please keep praying. K.O. still does not have his U.S. citizenship. There's all sorts of reasons why Biden being one of them. Um, <laughs> immigration has become very complicated over there. Uh, so please pray. We, he, she could not leave the country with him. But uh, we are so... Uh, they send their love. In fact, can I do this? Can I, can, I get, can I record you guys saying we love you to Megan? Can we do that real quick? Here, here we go. All right, one, two, three, you're on. <laughs> That's for you, Megan. They love you. The kids are so excited. Jonas, Eden, and Dea at university. All three of them live in the same house, go to the same university, very involved with their church, Antioch Church. And uh, they're going to the nations. Eden's leading a team to Kazakhstan for three months with her church. Uh, Dea's going with her. Jonas has gone with his teams to Mexico, and they go all over the place now. We just need to figure out how to channel them to South Africa. And so... They need to come and see you. I know Dea was here not too long ago. Jonas, my son, is coming in July to say hi to everybody here. And eventually they'll all make it. We're trickling in. We're trickling in. So we're all going to come back and see you. But we think of you often. I mean, literally, all the time. And we love Glenridge. There's so many. We've became, you know, when Americans come here and they tell you everything you're doing wrong and how much better it is in America, you know, all of that stuff. Well, we've become the, the reverse. When we're over there, we say, you know, it's so much better. In South Africa, we do things a lot better, and Glenridge is so much better, and we've had to try to stop that now. Because we've learned so much from Glenridge and just in the free worship and then even seeing those that were in my youth group when I was here now leading worship. And I mean, you guys know how to bring in, you bring through leadership, you multiply. Glenridge has, has taught us so much around that. And uh, we're, we're teaching Americans that we're teaching the American church not to be so corporate. It's hard. It's, it's become a corporation over there in many ways. And so we're saying, no, 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 God wants to raise people up, release them from within. That's, it's family, not just function. And we learned that at Glenridge. So we're bringing you every day over there and trying to do it in a humble way because you have so much to give to the American church. And we're representatives of that, of what God has done here. I just want to say that. Amen. I'm going to preach today about God's kingdom invasion, God's kingdom invasion through us. And it's a journey that the Lord took us on in the last two years of learning this afresh. And so I'm going to share a little bit of our story as we go through this today. But if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts 1. We're going to look at Acts 1. We're going to look at those famous verses, Acts 1, all the way just to Acts 8, and we'll stop there, 1 to 8. You know, when you play a video game, and uh, a lot of people know video games now, it's the thing. And you know, back in the day, whenever I was playing video games, it was Pac-Man. There wasn't much to it. We just had to not get eaten by the ghosts. We had to just eat all the cherries. Remember that. Well, now it's a lot more sophisticated. Now, most games, if you play a game, you have this big boss at the end of the game that you're supposed to defeat. If you play Minecraft, you got to beat the dragon at the end of the game. And so, there's a, there's a point to it. There is a main quest. But what can happen in the video game is when you get in there, you realize that your character has got to get built up. 
And so you have all of these side quests, these side little journeys that you take. And whenever you take that journey, you, you can go and learn how to wield your sword, and you can gain power or gain strength or gain wisdom, and your character keeps getting built up. But you know that you can actually play that game and never actually defeat the dragon at the end of it. You can go on so many side quests, endless side quests, and never actually do the main quest that you started the game for, that the game is about. Oh, that's okay. Now listen. I feel, like, I feel like this is the same joke I've played so many times here. You give a Texan a handheld microphone, and he turns into the evangelist. The TV, the TV evangelist. So this was, <laughs> you may regret this. Glory to God. Okay, okay. okay. <clears throat> I'm glad you still laugh at that joke. I remember saying it about three times here at least with my big my boots on. So you have all these side quests that you can go on and you actually never get on with what you were meant to do. Well, if you've come here this morning and you have a question of what is it that God actually intends for me to do? What is my main quest? What's the main, what's the dragon that I'm supposed to defeat? What's the quest that God's got for me? And how do I get back on it? Well, I've got good news for you. I'm going to give you some answers today. From the Word of God, from Acts 1. You're in the right place if you're wondering, God, how do I get back on the main quest? That's what we're going to do this morning. I would love for you to finish the following verses for me. I'm going to say the first part, and I want you to finish them. From Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So you got that one. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How about this one? From Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. How about this one? Finish this verse. The reason the Son of Man, Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We go home right now. Son of God came to seek and save the lost, to destroy the works of the devil. There's a dragon. We're meant to defeat it. We're meant to push back the kingdom of darkness by allowing the kingdom of God to invade earth one human heart at a time. And we're a part of that. That's our quest. You are meant to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's, it doesn't say go there for pastors and make disciples. It doesn't say go there for those learned theologians and make disciples. It doesn't say go there for church workers and the church staff and make disciples. It says go there for and make disciples of all nations. And you know what the disciples you make are supposed to do once they get made? Make disciples. That word isn't just for you, it's for every disciple you make. So your quest is to make disciples who will make disciples, who will get on the quest. And many have not even heard that they actually have a purpose and a call. And you're meant to call them into it, bring them into it, and walk them into it, teaching them, 
It says to obey, obey all that Christ has commanded. And there's another part of that verse I'm going to get to in a moment. So here's point number one, is that Jesus began a kingdom invasion with a few. So I want you to say Jesus began. Can you say that? Jesus began. I'm going to give you my other two points real quick. Jesus leads. Say that. Jesus leads. And then the last point is Jesus continues. Okay, so just remember that. But let's start with this one. Jesus began a kingdom invasion with a few. Let's look at Acts 1. In the first book, so there was a book before this one, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus, say the word out loud, began. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them. All right, so where are we in the story? We just had Easter last Sunday. How appropriate now. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's about to address his disciples. And in his last days here, he appeared to them in those 40 days after he had risen from the dead, and he had something to give them, show them, commission them too. And it carries on, he says, and he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, a kingdom invasion of the kingdom of God. So we're going to define, just we're going to stop there for the first point, and we'll read the rest in just a moment. Two words that we're going to have to really define. One is began, and the other is the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? Well, those two words are powerful. And about two years ago, I was reading this verse. I had come to America, and I was beginning afresh, having a new start in the States. We had been away from America for 23 years. We knew South Africa. We knew this place. We knew our friends here. We knew how to do ministry. It, it felt easy. It was comfortable. We knew what to do. We get to America, and 23 years had gone by, and America had changed. We hardly recognized her. We went to church after church, about 10 churches, saying, God, surely there's a church here that you called us to work with. Went to one after another. And the thing that stood out to us so much is that we could not tell the difference between one or the other. They all looked the same. They sang the same. They looked the same. The lights were down low. The smoke machines, it was just like, it was like, wow. I mean, I love it. I love that they love, they, they've got worship down to a, you know, to a perfected, perfected art. I don't know how healthy that is, but we tried to keep our hearts pure, but we were like, we don't even recognize these people anymore. And it was the funniest thing because we're in Texas and it feels like we're at Hillsong's and the lights are low and the lights are going everything, and they would go up and then everybody would walk out with boots and a cowboy hat and I would be like, is this you? I mean, like, <laughs> like you got boots and a cowboy hat and you're singing like you're in Europe with people leading you in skinny jeans. I was like, this is really, this. I was like, but, they, that, but that's what's what the church had become. And I don't want to insult them because I've learned a lot about American, American. I've learned a lot about what God could do. And they've taught me a lot. I've learned they, they love the word of God. They really do. They've got the word of God memorized and it, it made me think, oh, I need to start memorizing the word better. I'm learning so much. But we had a culture shock. And I got into my place of, of my closet, and I was like, Jesus, 
What, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with us? What are we doing here? I didn't realize how long that season would last. And now, <clears throat> it, it lasted 18 months with us not really knowing what God really wanted us to do. Or we were discovering it, should I say. Now, 18 months not, might not sound that, uh, like a lot. It's 18 months of living with your mom and dad after 40 years. <laughs> Let me put it back in, the, in that context. In that context, it's 18 months of Megan living with her mother-in-law, okay? Let me just put it that way. Now, they got on great. It was wonderful because my parents often listen to my sermons. I just want you to know that my mom and dad were wonderful, absolutely wonderful, so gracious. But at some point, our savings from South Africa, which, you know, we, it felt like a lot when we were here. We sold a house. When we went over there, it went whoop. <laughs> and, and by 18 months, it was gone. And we had had some offers of churches that were looking for people. And so each one, we had about three different offers. And each one was like, yeah, I think this is it, the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Lord would close the door in my heart and say, that's not the right place. And I'd get back on my knees and say, oh, God, what what is the right place? And after 18 months, my parents are like, yes, what is the right place? Like, (laughs) like, son, how how long, how many offers are you going to say no to? I was like, Dad, just bear with me. And he's like, yeah, we are bearing with you. (laughs) And they were very gracious. Did I say that already, Mom? I mean, uh, Clarence. But I got on my knees, and I was like, Lord. And when when I read these words, I saw Jesus began. He began. The book of Acts is Dr. Luke's sequel. Did you know that? He wrote the book of Luke, and that was like phase one. And he says, I'm going to show, I showed you phase one, but there's a phase two coming. And that phase one was all about Christ's birth and his ministry and his resurrection. Phase two was about what God was now doing still through Christ, because he only began. He just began there. The actual Greek there is the imperfect tense, which means it signifies an ongoing action. He started something that he intended to carry on. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning of Jesus' ministry on the earth. Something had started and it was to continue. And I got on my knees and I said, okay, God, what does this look like? And I started praying like I'd never prayed before. And let me be honest, you can be in ministry for many, many years and never really become a prayer. You can become a doer but not a prayer. And there were times where I was like, jeez, I don't even have time to pray. You know, we're so busy. And the Lord said, i got to teach you about this then. So I got on my knees and I said, what does it look like? Lord, what does it look like for us to be a part of what you began? And I had this image of how so many of us long to be like the disciples walking with Jesus. You ever thought about that? What would it have been like to be there? It's a walk with them. And I thought about, you know, I can imagine like, a, you know, if I was like a disciple and if I was with him there and I would be sitting and maybe after, you know, kind of one of his amazing parables would be trying to figure it out. You know, what's the parable? What did he really say? And I could imagine Jesus in that moment. I could imagine Jesus coming to me and sitting down with me and, and unpacking the, the parable. And I'm like, oh. And maybe he offers me a bit of fish from the fire like he did with the disciples. Oh, can you imagine? And, and you're there, and you're like, okay, Jesus, let's talk about this, what it was like. 
And then I ask him, you know, okay, well, Jesus, what, we, what do we do tomorrow? What are, you gonna, what are you gonna do tomorrow? And he says, well, we are going to go here. And then I think to myself, oh, to hear the words we. Like, not just me, not just I'm gonna go, but you're gonna come with me. To walk with him where he goes to people and he, we see him pray and then he actually invites you to pray because this is what he did with his disciples. You pray now. I'm gonna send you out and then come back and tell me how it went. And he comes back and they talk and they discuss it. And to have that kind of life and that kind of relationship with Jesus where they're following him into the harvest and they get to see the action. They get to be a part of the action and see Jesus going. He doesn't just show them, but he teaches them. He doesn't just pray for people. He gets them to pray for people. They get to share in the miracles. And I was like, oh, Jesus, to do that, that would be amazing. You can imagine just how enamored you'd be by him and that he would include you in it. And Jesus says to me, so why not? Why don't you go with me? And I'm in my quiet place, and I'm realizing Jesus began a work. And he wants to take me in it. In a very real way, you get to walk with Jesus almost more intimately because of the Holy Spirit in you. He is still taking us into the harvest. He is still walking with us. We're not in this quest alone. We are following the king of kings as he brings a kingdom invasion to earth. We still walk and talk and be with him. I got to know that, Jesus, I need to abide in you afresh because I have forgotten that you are the one taking me with you into the harvest. He's busy doing a work. And he's taking me. He began something. And he said, are you going to come with me? And I said, how do I do that? And he said, well, you're going to have to start with prayer. So I got on my knees and I started praying. I had a lot of time. I was jobless. <laughs> so I had a lot of time to pray. So I, we, I actually made, uh, there was an attic, and I made it into a prayer closet. And I put a, maps of the city that I was in. And I said, Megan, God's got to teach us how to pray. Because I cannot do this by just going. I have to do this by following. And I cannot follow unless I know how to hear his voice, how to speak, how to talk, how to have a real relationship with God. That's called prayer. Prayer is just not something that we just do where, you know, it's kind of like, you know, God, please help me. It's a conversation that I'm having with the living God who rose from the dead and who's saying, come with me. I will show you what to do. I will walk with you. And all of a sudden, prayer became everything to me. And I prayed for hours. I had never done that before. I had had quiet times where I would sit and I would read. This time, I'm on my knees praying. And as I prayed, something else happened. But I'm not going to tell you yet what that is. I'm going to tell it in the next point. Something deep happened. But the first step was learning afresh how to get on my face and talk with God and listen to him. Actually listen to him. I started journaling. I was just journaling. And he's speaking all of these things to me. And I'm just in the prayer closet day after day for hours. That is not me. Like I'm the guy who, who, who likes to go do things. I already told you I haven't stopped doing things since I got to Durban. Just go, go, go. Let's see everybody. I like people. But Jesus had to teach me to like him, to love him, to be with him. 
And I pressed in. I pressed in. And it took stripping away everything, not knowing what I was, where I was, who I was. Pulling all that scaffolding away. And folks, I'm going to challenge you. A lot of you have a lot of scaffolding. And that scaffolding props you up. I pray that the Lord would remove it so you would buckle to your knees. Nobody wants that, do they? Everyone's like, no, 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 don't make me fall to my knees. Remember telling Megan one time, I said to Megan, I said, Megan, I don't know what else to do except pray. And Megan cheekily said, has it come to that? Has it come to that? And I knew what she was saying. I was like, it should have started with that. Why didn't it begin with that? Well, our time in America began with that, and the Lord was showing me. And he started downloading things around the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you what that word kingdom of God is. In the Old Testament, Yahweh, that's what they called him, Yahweh was thought of as the king of Israel. He was the king. The Messiah was to come as the ideal Davidic king. So that's why David was so big in the Old Testament. Because he was like the ideal, he's a king. And the Messiah is going to come and look like that. Be something like that. A king leading a kingdom invasion. Now they thought it was going to be a political kingdom invasion. So that's why the disciples were confused for a while. Are you going to bring your kingdom yet? And we're going to see that in a minute. You want your kingdom yet? They thought it was a real political thing. John the Baptist started, sorry, let me come back a bit. The birth of Jesus then at Bethlehem was the kingdom of God breaking into the earth. That's what it is. The kingdom of God coming because the king had arrived. That's why wise men and other kings came to pay homage. This is the king. The king of all had arrived. John the Baptist proclaimed the nearness of the kingdom. It's what he was saying. The kingdom has come. Jesus clearly taught that the kingdom was present in himself and his teachings. The kingdom was there. It's what he taught. The kingdom of God was a common topic of Jesus. He spoke about it over and over again. And even in these 40 days that we saw after his resurrection, he spoke about it. The kingdom had come. And it involved the rule and reign Like a king rules over people, rules over their hearts, rules over their lives, rules over their businesses, rules over their families. He's the king of kings. And he's everything to us. That's what it means to surrender. And if you're not a Christian yet, what it means for you is that you are still under your kingdom, your rulership. That kingdom is darkness. And that's why things just, that's why you you can never see straight. And even whenever you do, you still end up tripping over yourself. Because you're the one with the problem. You're a king that's imperfect. And to become saved is to say, I take my kingdom and I throw it down. I throw my crown down. I throw it, I dethrone myself. And I come into God's kingdom and I enthrone him as the king. And now I will live in a new kingdom. But here's the deal. Is that that king is on the move to seek and save the lost. The lost. You were the lost. And he came on the move to seek and save the lost. And whenever he, that's the work he began. And when he takes you, he brings you into a battle. You're born into, people don't tell you this. 
I tell you, Christians don't tell you. They, they say, hey, whenever you get saved, oh, it's going to go from bad to beautiful. And praise the Lord, it does. But it's not often defined as we think it is. Beauty is whenever you see darkness. It, what does he call it? Obliterated. And the kingdom of light coming, that's beauty. Beauty is the light of God coming into people's lives. Not just yours. Your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones. That's the kingdom invading. And whenever you came in, you came into a battle to push it back. There's opposition in a battle, as you know that. You know, people say the Christian life is like a battle. It's not like a battle. It is a battle. Fight the good fight, Paul tells Timothy. Because you're in a fight for what? You're in a fight for the king to be enthroned on the hearts of every man and woman. That's what he's called you to. That is your quest. But Jesus began it, and the kingdom starts to move. But secondly, Jesus leads a kingdom invasion by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really important. I've already alluded to it. But it's important that you understand that Jesus still leads his ministry that he began. Super important. What happens in Christian circles is we preach or talk as if Jesus delegated all of this authority and then kind of checked out. It's like, whoa, I did my three years. <laughs> Good luck, guys. Yeah, I'm going to leave you now for the next couple thousand. And uh, you got it all. Don't worry. I gave you my words. And the American church can be a danger at preaching this. You know, they preach the you know, Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. It's like the Father came, gave Jesus, Jesus came, gave the Word of God, and now it's out. Where's the Holy Spirit? What does, that, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Jesus told them exactly why, how important it is that he leads them. He leads the mission. He doesn't send us on mission. He leads us on mission. He does not, he does not simply want us to try and do what Jesus did when he was on the earth. It, has not, it is not that. It's not what Jesus did when he was on the earth. It is what Jesus is doing now on the earth that he leads us into. Still a house of miracles, everybody. Still what God's building. He wants us to participate just like the first disciples. Stephen Siemens writes this. He's an author, theologian. He says this. The ministry we have entered is first and foremost the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's his ministry. It's his ministry more than ours, he says. Ministry, then, is not so much asking Christ to join us in our ministry as we offer him to others. Ministry is participating with Christ in his ongoing ministry as he offers himself to others through us. Can you see the difference? When Jesus commissioned his followers, we already said in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have command. What does he say right after that? Anybody remember? And I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. We, 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 we miss that, don't we? It's like, go teach them to obey. Amen. No, no, no. He says, I, I will be leading you in all of those things. 
That's why he tells them, you have to wait for what? For me to come by the Holy Spirit. To fill you, to lead you, to guide you. He says this in Acts 1, 4 to 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them. It's an order. You know, when Jesus orders something, you better take it pretty seriously. If he orders them, what does he order them to? The king is giving orders to his subjects, to his sons and daughters. What does the king say? Don't depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. To be filled with God. People take light of this. What does it mean to be filled with God? It means that he's going to lead you on the quest, but he will do it and he will fill you all of these little side quests you're going on, trying to build things, it's wonderful. They're not bad. You know, it's wonderful we take a side quest to build our marriage. Sometimes we do a marriage seminar. We need that, don't we? We need a couple of side quests. We need to learn how to be better parents. We need to learn how to manage money sometimes. The Bible has a lot to say about all of those things, and they're wonderful to build, but we can go on and on and on and never quite get that perfect marriage that we've got to do. Meanwhile, our neighbors go to hell. You want the best marriage possible? What do you want for them? What do you want for them? And I got on my knees in that prayer time, and I was praying, and I said, God, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He says, if I fill you with the Holy Spirit, I will break your heart with the things that break mine. Are you ready for that? I thought I was ready. I was like, yeah, God, I'm ready for that. Jesus, bring it. And all of a sudden, I got on my knees. And the Lord started breaking my heart for the lost. You know, when I look back on my time in Africa, 20 years, here in South Africa, my deepest regret is that my neighbors are going to go to hell. They're going to hell. That's, that's what, that's the truth. And we have a lot of strong Christians here that we got to build. At what cost? I saw God broke my heart. You know what I started doing? I started going around to every neighbor in that neighborhood and I got to become friends with them and I shared the gospel with them in America where you can't even get into people's houses because they're so isolated. And we knocked on the door. And I said, we're your neighbors. And they said, okay. I said, can we come in? They said, well, we don't normally do that. I said, I'm sorry. I'm South African. And uh, we just, <laughs> we just come into people's houses. He says, well, maybe you could give us a heads up next time. <clears throat> a true story. I said, yeah, maybe, but there's no promises. I might just show up. And we came, and this couple was like, they're not Christians. In fact, for a living, they sell marijuana. Like, you, can, you have all these CBD stuff, and they have, they're very invested in, in cannabis. And I took him for a drink to get to know him, and he got so confused. He was like, I said something, and I, and I can't remember how it started, but he was like, so are, are you looking for marijuana? I said, no, no, I don't want marijuana. 
I said, I've never smoked marijuana. He said, oh, oh, sorry. I thought there was like, no, no, no. I was like, no, I'm talking about, I want to talk about Jesus. He was like, what? I was like, what? And over months, you know, we spoke, we, we greeted, they were friendly, a little bit standoffish until her dad comes down with cancer. Guess who they're telling us in tears, who, who they're telling in tears? I said, I want to pray for your dad. We came in, we prayed for them, and they don't know what to do, you know. The one dad, he, the, the man is holding the son, kind of like walking, you know, having an excuse to kind of take care of the baby, thinking, I don't know what to do. We're laying on hands, speaking in tongues, and praying for this dad. And he's in tears, because he wants to live. And then we said, but do you know Jesus? Because that's truly life. It opened it up. They started inviting us around more, went swimming with them. And, and he says, you know, tell me about what you believe, sharing the gospel with them. We come to the place she's receiving. He's not yet. I'm still in relationship with him. Write him all the time. Tyler, how's it going? What's God doing? He's like, well, you know, please pray. I got this friend. And he keeps kind of dashing and, you know, ducking and diving. But God is on his case. Why? Because I'm on his case. Because it's my quest. And it's your quest too. It's your quest as well. Megan and I started praying and the Lord says, don't pray here. He says, get up out of your house and pray as you walk. Go, go, go. So while we got out, Megan and I started every single week, several hours often. We don't do it as much now because we got busy with the church. But we pray walk still. We still do it, but we don't do it as much in terms of we had a lot of hours to do it then. We would walk, and we would meet people, and we would say, hey, oh, how that's a beautiful dog. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> and then I just started assuming everybody that came up to me would, is wanting to know Jesus. I'd sit down at a park. Someone would sit down, and I'd say, oh, hi. Are you looking for Jesus? <laughs> you guys laugh. That's how I started. People, I would say, can I pray for you? And they would, I, four times now, in the harvest, asking people, can I, I, we meet this couple. They're walking around. We're at this harbor little place, little shopping mall area on, on this lakefront. And uh, we're walking around. Megan and I are pray walking. And we meet this couple. And I say to them, oh, how's it going? And they're looking around because there's not a lot of people at that time. And so I was like, what are you guys doing? And, well, we just were thinking about moving here. I said, well, that's a big thing. How can I pray for you? The lady looked at me, and she burst into tears. They're unsaved. Burst into tears. She's like, I can't believe you just asked me. And the husband is like, whoa, I don't, I don't know what she's doing. I don't know why she's crying. She says, he's like, honey, I, we do not know these people. We shouldn't have burdened them. I said, no, but Jesus knows you, and he knows your concerns. I said, we're going to pray with you right now. And she's weeping, and we're praying with them. I had another guy who's just serving us as a waiter, and I said, how can I pray for you? And he says, are you really asking me how to, and he says, and he starts tearing, he starts crying, and he pulls up a chair, and he says, I'm just, and then he just starts weeping, and I was like, this is beautiful, you know, I still want to eat here, I still want some food, in every situation, I say, how can I pray for you, we tell them the gospel, we share the gospel, and then I say, this is very important, would you like to meet again? to hear more about it. I'm looking for a discipleship relationship with them. I'm not looking just to give them the gospel and my job's done. 
We're to make disciples. And we've been on a journey. I've shared my faith more than I ever have in my entire life in the last two years. I share at least two or three times a week because God broke my heart. He said, will you love my kingdom? Will you love my people more than yours? I started going with, among the lost, and it has been the most fulfilling thing in my life. You know, we don't, I didn't even realize I was missing it. I didn't realize I was doing all these side quests, writing books, doing all sorts of things. I don't, I'm not against side quests, because they do build you, but not at the cost of the main quest to seek and save the lost. And you know them. They live in your home. They live in your neighborhood. They work with you. Did you know in America, the average Christian shares their faith once every 26 years? 26 years. Before you judge... Ask yourself, when was the last time I actually shared my faith? Not that you kind of slip in, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, no, I go to Glenridge. No, the faith that Jesus, and you have a story that you were once lost and Jesus found you. And now what? So easy. Share your faith. Go among the lost. Point three, Jesus continues a kingdom invasion through you. Jesus began. Jesus leads. Jesus continues through you. Look here in verse 6 to 8. So when they came, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Can you see that? They get the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom. So when are you going to come and politically come in and reign as king? Because they're thinking, hey, maybe, I, maybe I could be the kind of second in command. Maybe I can get a title as well. Three years and they're still not figuring it out. There's hope for you. It's all right. And me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus uses just these ordinary people. Don't even get it. But they got it. They got it because the Holy Spirit filled them. And they understood. It all came together. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't, don't worry about all that stuff. You know, Jesus is coming back and he's going to put his reign, his political reign, on the whole earth. And every knee will bow. Not just political, in every way he will be king. But you will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not surprisingly, the Greek word for witness is the same word for martyr. You will be my martyr. You will give your lives. It will become all-consuming. This will become your quest. I will continue the kingdom invasion through you, and it will be all in all what you do. I want to challenge you, Glenridge. Is it all in all what you do? Following Jesus into the harvest with the kingdom invasion. What does it look like for you? It will definitely look like dying to yourself. It will definitely look like you being martyred. Even if it's at your own hands. To say, I 
will martyr myself to be a witness for Jesus. You know, people are so good at living with self. If you just type in self in your little iPhone dictionary or wherever you are with a dictionary, you type in self, you know you'll come up with 43 derivatives of self. Self-reliance, self-promotion, self-gratification, self-this, self-that. I mean, we've, had, we, we've, got, we've decided to make almost every verb able to connect with self. To make every single action we do about ourselves. That's how far we've come away from God's martyr. For me to get back to the main quest, I had to die to myself. You know the, how that happened. It happened through prayer and going among the lost. That's how it happened. I had to die to myself. Because I had all sorts of plans of what I was going to do for Jesus. And Jesus says, what about I do something with you? And I had to die to myself on my knees. You know, on our knees, it's so easy to be all about God. Ever think about that? Oh, Jesus, I'm all about you. But somehow between the knees to the feet, we get back to self. And we start walking and now it's about self. And somehow my relationship with Jesus is just there on my knees and not here on my feet with my neighbors, with my colleagues. What happened? If it's going to be Jesus on my knees, then may it be Jesus on my feet, in my feet, with the gospel of peace. This is what it's at. This is where Jesus is. He's with the lost. And the reason it takes dying to self is because if you follow Jesus, he will take you to the places you don't want to go. It's the places that the Pharisees decided they would not go. And we look at the Pharisees and say, shame on them. And then we stay in the same place that they stayed, because he will take you to the uncomfortable places, to the places where you will have to die to yourself. I die to myself every time. I walk. I'm saying, you know, I, 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 let me not tell, let me not get, you know, she's too many stories. You know, I got to try to hold it back. I go on a prayer walk with Megan. And we're walking, and I see this lady throwing... <clears throat> coins into a fountain and the kids run out of coins and I said oh I've got a couple of pennies so I pulled out these pennies and I gave it to this little boy and then his mom said oh thank you and I said I'm actually walking around looking for people I can pray with how can I pray for you that's how I start how can I pray for you she looks at me and her jaw drops and she says I want what you have I said what do you what do you mean she says, like two weeks ago, I told my husband, I think I need to buy a Bible. And my husband says, why would you buy a Bible? We don't even believe in that stuff. And she says, I don't know. So she says to me, so I went to this Christian bookstore, and, and they gave me something. It was like called the uh, New King James. And I was like, yes, I've heard of it. She says, but I could not understand it. So I took it back, and they gave me an NIV. And I said, yeah, I've heard of the NIV. She said, I still couldn't understand it. So I took it back, and then I Googled how to read the Bible, and they suggested start with a children's Bible. So I bought a children's Bible. Then I thought to myself, well, I should read this to my children. So I started reading it, and I thought, oh, I can't read this to them. I don't even know this. How am I supposed to lead them in something I don't even know? And then I was just thinking about that. And you asked me how I can pray for you. 
He says, I want what you have. I said, she says, I want to learn how to read the Bible. I want to know about God. I said, really? God bless you. You're like the first person that actually responded. I was like, thank you, God. So I said, we can show you how to read the Bible. Megan met with her the next week. I'm like babysitting the kids. We didn't go to her house because we know that, hey, if we go to her house, it just ruins it. And her husband even started saying, I think they're Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, no, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, let's just meet back at the coffee. This is where we are right here. There's a coffee shop right there. Let's do it. We'll show you how to read the Bible. We started walking with Dominique. She came with her children. We ended up starting, we were doing these praise worship things at, the, at this ranch. It was just our first attempt to just see what God could do. And we started doing this praise and worship night. She comes to one of those. She Googled us to find out who our names were and came across our website that has books and stuff like that. She comes to me and she says, I didn't know who you guys were. I didn't know you had done all this amazing stuff. She says, this is amazing. I can't believe that I get to. I just looked at her and I said, her name's Dominique. And I said, Dominique. I said, look at me. I said, don't you know, Dominique, all of this is for you. You're the main one. I'm not the main one. You're the main one. We did all of this worship. Going on prayer walks, it's all for you. You are the one God is looking for. You are the pearl of great price that he sold everything for. You're the treasure, and he bought the field with his very life. It's you that he's after. He loves you, and he's put it all together for you. You're the one. My whole life is about finding you. That's the truth. That's the truth. And when I see the loss, and I talk to the lost. It breaks my heart, and God took us to that. John 14, where he, the, the sheep was lost, and he left the 99, and he went for the lost sheep. Jesus challenges me. Richard Newhouse says, It is our determination to be independent by being in control that makes us unavailable to God. If you be a martyr, it'll take you places where you feel completely out of control. Where you'll be a witness. Will you be a witness? The ministry of Jesus challenges my sense of identity. If I need to be approved and admired and successful in the eyes of others, I will not be able to be his witness in the way that he calls me. And it's true for you. If I insist on staying in control, playing it safe, and avoiding discomfort, I will forfeit my call to be his witness. If I become his witness so I can look good in the eyes of religious leaders, I will abuse my calling and my quest. I cannot be in it for my glory or even to fulfill my purpose. All this talk about find your purpose. It's a little bit of a trap. Find his purpose. Be his witness. You will be my witness, as Jesus said. It's not about me. It's about him. That's what it means to be a martyr for Jesus. And Glenridge is beautiful because Glenridge has so many expressions. God will do it through you. It's hard for me to give you all the how-to's except to say it begins on your knees. It begins coming back to Jesus and saying, Jesus, 
I was made for you. What you began, remind me again. Start afresh, breathe afresh in my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so you can lead me. So that I can continue what you started. And walk in the kingdom invasion of God invading earth through you. But you will have to go. You will have to go. You cannot do a quest from your living room chair. It does not work. A quest is to go. To follow the king is to move as he moves. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about right now? What's the Holy Spirit talking to you about? Whose name has he put in your heart right now? Some of you, he's put a name in your heart. How will you go this week? How, you will, how will you obey? I'm teaching you to obey. How will you obey? Next week, if I came and I said, what did you do? Did you respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting? What will you say? I pray that you will say, yes, I did. What's the Lord speaking to you about? His purpose is the greatest purpose you'll ever have. To seek and save the lost. Get back on the main quest. Get back on it. Get back in it. Get back in it. You in the back, get back in it. God's got a quest. Over here, God's got a quest for you. You're never more yourself than when you share what God has done and who he is and what he's doing. And you leave there. Even when people say to me, nah, I don't want that. I still walk away knowing, oh. But I hear the Lord say, good and faithful servant. Don't sit on the talent. The greatest talent that you've got is that the Lord sought and saved you. That's the biggest thing, and you were sitting on it. We're sitting on it. Let it out. Let it out and see what God does. Get back on the quest. Let's just receive what the Lord wants to do right now. Holy Spirit, you wrecked me those two years ago. And I'm, I can't be the same. But neither can Dominique. She can't be the same. She's not the same. Zach, not the same. Bick, not the same. So many names of people that I would never have known. And you would never have known you or maybe by the grace of God somehow. But because you did something in my heart. You changed me, and you set me back on the main quest. And I want to ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would set each one of us back on the main quest. You're pulling us in again. Pull each one. And I pray right now for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that they would say, yes, we will go, therefore, and make disciples. Yes, 
I will push back the kingdom of darkness. Yes, I will fix my eyes on Jesus and see him work through me. Yes, I will be filled with the Spirit and follow him wherever he leads. They would say, yes, 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 yes. And at the other end of our yes, our salvations, our souls for all eternity, our lives changed, families changed, generation changed. And Lord, these people here in this building, when they get to heaven, will see a queue of people that say, because you said yes, I said yes, and I'm here. And Lord, we'll see the millions come in from generations, Lord. And if you tarry for thousands of years, Lord, there will be millions because of our yes, our yes, our yes. They will say yes. We say yes, Holy Spirit. We say yes, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, may we never stop saying yes. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.